Welcome to Over in Smith, a HP Lovecraft podcast where me and my friend reads a HP Lovecraft book, and if it's not too boring or racist, we will release a audiobook. Uh, my name's Jesse, and with me today is someone who's just a real piece of shit. <laughs> Faith. <laughs> What up? It'd be your local disaster. Just slopping steaks all over the place. Have your hair slicked back. (laughs) (laughs) Babies cry whenever they look at you because they know you used to be a piece of shit. I always wear a leather jacket, even though it's like 90 fucking degrees out. (laughs) And when it's like negative three. We're going to be reading to the end of part two today. We are witnessing the unraveling of Joseph Kerwin's whole thing. Oh, I are guess. We? I mean, his Ooh, current thing, we? not his entire thing, I don't think. Yeah. Like, because we're still in the first, well, first in the first two parts, and there's five parts. Um, So there's still quite a bit left. So from what we know, and I don't think any of us no. read this one, right? Okay. So from so from what we know so far is uh, Charles Dexter Ward um, is in is seeing a bunch of alienists because they are well, they're insane. Is that what yeah. they would call? I guess. Yeah, I guess they're insane, but like they're technically lucid. But, like, they seem to only be talking about the past. Yeah, they don't- they seem to have forgotten everybody they have met. They are no longer interested in the things that they were interested in before, which was he liked antiquities a lot. um, And he did, like, a lot of historical research, but now he has zero interest in that. And, in fact, does not remember any of his knowledge about that. And this happened, according to one of the alienists who was actually his friend- Happened around the time he found the papers of Joseph Kerwin. Yeah. And that was basically part one. Uh, part one. Yeah, um, so it was part- like a lowdown of like, hey, this is what's going on with Dexter Ward. It's not good. Yeah. Um, so now, uh, second part, we're mostly talking about Joseph Kerwin and his whole thing. Um, and, you know, he was doing some, he was definitely doing some experiments. Uh, he married, he, he married a, he married the daughter of a captain who was indebted to him, and he spun the, then he, then he spurred, uh, someone named something Whedon, what was it, Ezra Whedon, Whedon, um, who was supposed to be her betrothed before, you know. Yeah, they were supposed to get Maya Weed, yeah, before Joseph Kerwin basically bribed her father for her hand in marriage. And it was all so that he would look good, because he uh, apparently really freaked out some local celebrities with his spooky books. Yeah, and uh, Whedon uh, was spying on him for months on end. Uh, took uh, Him and his friend 
uh, spied on him and took some notes to some of the people who weren't indebted to him, like some of the elders and stuff. Yes, like and some other people, people that are like, yeah, Joseph Kerwin's done some fucked up yeah. shit. And now they're basically putting together like a task force to take him down. Yeah. So and I think this was like what happened right before this, because apparently like right, like right before we done, I guess, ended the uh, fourth uh, chapter of part two, um, a body of a butcher that was dead for about, was supposed to be dead for about 50 years, yep. um, showed up under the bridge that was leading to the bridge, that was leading to the road to his farm. Yeah. Which he basically stays in all the time. Yeah, and he was, like, completely naked. It looks like some dogs had been chasing him. Yeah. Um, yeah. He had also tried to import some mummies. <laughs> and they got stopped at the port so he had to like redirect them elsewhere so that he could get them uh yeah we did learn that he did stop buying and selling slaves yes he does no longer Uh, take part in the slave trade (laughs) i mean he's still a piece of shit he's still a piece of shit that he ever took place in it and it is totally for completely selfish reasons that he stopped but still on top of that uh, he seems to have blackmail um, on a lot of people in town, um, and it's something that people outside the family would never know. Yeah, like, unless you had been in that family for, like, generations, you would not know these. Uh, they're sort of, like, dark family secrets. Like, uh, one of them was about somebody whose, like, grandfather had taken part in, like, a- or great-grandfather had taken part in, like, a massacre in France. Uh, yeah. Like, it's that kind of blackmail. It's, like, stuff like, how do you know something that happened, like, a hundred years ago? Yeah, it's so uh, we're at the point which seems to be the rising action to Joseph Kerwin's story, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, part- well, chapter five, start at chapter five of part two, and the c- case of Charles Dexter Ward. Chapter five, the probability that Kerwin was on guard and attempting unusual things, as suggested by the odd shaft of light, participated at last the action so carefully devised by the band of serious citizens. According to the Smith Diary, a company of about a hundred men met at 10 p.m., on Friday, April 12th, 1771, in the great room of Thurston's Tavern at the, at the sign of Golden Lion on, on Way Bosset Point, across the bridge. Of the guiding group of prominent men, in addition to the leader, John Brown, there were President Dr. Bowen with his case of surgical instruments, President Manning without the great periwig, the largest in the colonies, for which he was noted, Governor Hopkins, wrapped in his dark cloak and accompanied by his seafaring brother Isaac, who he had initiated in the last moment with the permission of the rest, John Carter, Captain Matthewson, and Captain Whipple, who was to lead the actual raiding party. Now, I want to point out, John Brown, not one of the best people to live during the Civil War, or before the Civil War happened, not, not him. It was just a regular John Brown. Also, just a raid of it's not it's not John Brown who um, who did the raid at Harper's Ferry. It is yeah, it's a different John Brown. Brown. He probably was okay with slavery. Um, periwig oh, is what definitely. they used to call wigs. 
periwig. What? It's what periwig. they used to call wigs. Just call it a nope, wig. that's what they called it before. They called it a wig. Uh, uh, <laughs> and he had the largest in the colonies, which was woo wee. That's a lot. Ooh. Also, John. This is a big ass. John wig. Carter may or may not have gone to Mars. We don't know. Oh, this is also a hundred years before that John Carter would have lived. He still could have, unless he, unless he went he back. He still in time. could have. It's very possible. I just remember John Carter. He was in Civil War. Like fought in. He did what fight in the Civil side War. was he on? I think he was, was he Union. Union? Let me look it up. <laughs> Let me. I think people learn their lesson after Twilight and Jasper. Okay. Well, Let me look it up. You know. There's always that question. <laughs> Civil War veteran. That tells me fucking nothing. I'm looking it up right now. One because moment. like, because like, it didn't take me until someone pointed this out that the as much as I. Oh no, he wasn't the Confederate. Yeah, that's side. what I was remembering. <laughs> okay, good. Okay, so he was a Confederate. Wonderful. Uh, well, I mean, he was on Mars for majority. No, no way, he was a veteran. Nope, he. F- oh, he was. Uh, flashback to 1868 in the Arizona uh, Territory. Oh, he got arrested by uh, yeah. the Union. Well, well, to be fair, uh, Rice Burroughs, I forget his name. Was it John Rice Burroughs? Edgar Rice Burroughs. Uh, if you read his uh, Tarzan stuff, he was also a racist shithead. So, so this it shouldn't, shouldn't be that, that surprising. Again, like, I don't know why people don't call him out. Again, I'm not saying you shouldn't call out HP. You should, but but maybe you also should. call out like Burroughs, Rice Burroughs, like Rice Burroughs, Rice as well, yeah. and a lot of the other people riding around this time, like yeah, basically anybody that wasn't part of the Harlem Renaissance. Yeah, maybe was call them out too, racist. please. Like, is this just like there's there's still people who get a lot of acclaim that were racist pieces of shit. Oh, who wrote Brave New World? Uh, Hux- what the f- yeah, Aldous also Huxley. racist. <laughs> also a racist piece of shit. There are multiple parts of uh, Brave New World that are incredibly racist. And, like, not just towards African Americans, but also, like, Native Americans. Right. He got the double whammy of, of racism in Brave New World. He's like, I can't be racist towards just one people. I gotta do like- two. <laughs> There's probably some anti-Semitism in there, too, that I just Wait, don't Just remember. call more people out, please. If you're going to call out one person, call out the rest, please. Like, it's just annoying, mostly. Cause was, was Ray Bradbury racist? I don't think he was. I don't... I don't think he was explicitly. I think he was just, like, just like a moderate of the day, which would have meant... Just like a moderate of today. Kind of racist, but not really. But kind of. Not a white supremacist, but still a racist. <clears throat> Same with uh, uh, who wrote um, iRobot. Uh, fuck. Yeah. Asimov. A moderate, pretty much. Moderately. Not explicitly anti-racist, though. Uh, I think Robert Heinlein, he was like, Robert Heinlein did a lot of questionable things in his books. I wouldn't doubt he was racist at some point. Robert Heinlein also liked to write uh, a lot of self-inserts for himself. 
like in the moon is a harsh mistress like that is definitely just robert a heinlein like writing himself into the book he's like i yes welcome to my novel this is the moon is a harsh mistress this is our main character his name is hobbert reinlein and he's definitely not no i don't i don't necessarily hate it when someone is a self-insert i don't hate it he did he was an anti-fascist. I will give him that. He did write uh, Storm Tr- Starship Troopers. and was like, hey, uh, fascism is bad. And this is what it ends up being. Also, you good? end up fighting <laughs> a bunch of bug monsters. Yeah. Uh, actually, now that I think about Moon's the Harsh Mistress was also anti-fascist. Nope. I'll give him that. But he was not the most... He Like, the way he wrote women was to, not To be great. fair, like... I keep on making. I, I don't know why I keep on doing this, but the uh, the predators uh, meme, uh, the 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 right and the left mistreating women is like in between. <laughs> <laughs> I just like uh, it's really a shame that the main character of the Moon is a Harsh Mistress was the main character of that book because he wrote. There's another character in it called. Her name is Wyoming, and she is incredible she is so much cooler than the main character <laughs> in every single way she is like a stake in everything that is happening like a big stake in everything is happening she has great reasons for being like pissed off about what is like what has happened on the moon like uh she is interesting she actually has a backbone the main character just kind of gets like pulled around by other people <sighs> Wyoming should have been the main character of that whole movie. It tends to be book. how it works, though. She's so much fucking cool. Yeah, I love it. I love it when a when an author can, like, a dude author can write like a really good, uh, like, like femme character, but also manage to still be sexist <laughs> <Yeah>. towards them. <laughs> like, it's so great. It's just like this is such a great character. Why are you such a shitty man? Why? <laughs> why? Why is this a part of your your future? Um, uh, culture why do, why is polygamy a thing this doesn't make any fucking sense that being said i just wanted to point out what a perig was because that is oh a, yeah sorry and then we went into and then went on tangent. to john carter <laughs> uh, i'm sorry i got so mad about the moon is that's harsh all good mistress. i like because because like i was just like it's a confederate soldier i'm so fucking mad now <sighs> but yeah Eckert, like people people need to go back and read Ignorize Burroughs to realize that he was kind of a more explicit racist yeah. than Lovecraft was in a lot of t- places. <laughs> yeah. That being said, Lovecraft did write racist stuff as soon as an Italian man was being <laughs> yeah. to him. Which changed a little bit after he moved to like Boston and stuff, because there's a ton of love Italian men there. Yeah, to yell at Seems him. to respect the Irish. Some- which is weird. Which is yeah. weird because they would have been you know. <laughs> Oh, okay, wait, okay. What if Lovecraft just really hated Irish people? That was it. <laughs> like, you have, like, tons of stuff about those fucking Mickeys. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> On a 
honestly, just to like, uh, like the Ita- the racism against Italian people has been like so sensational and they superstitious. It's like, yeah, for good fucking reason, HP. Yeah, it's it's weird how people would be superstitious in the book where supernatural things are happening. <laughs> in the book where like two men are bringing like people back from the dead on the regular. And sometimes just letting them run around, <laughs> or or like that, or like in the the or in the uh, cool air, where it's just like, yeah, these Spaniards, the, they're they they're they're coarse, but they're okay because they speak English and they like being quiet. I know, and like what? Okay, it my sounds like you just don't is, like loud people. My landlady is pretty <laughs> rad, but she is Spanish. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck does that mean, HP? <laughs> It's like it's like when it's like when people who are like super misogynist like like are starting to soften up, but they're still like, yeah, you're pretty cool for a girl. <laughs> it's ex- that's exactly what cool air like entirely was. It's not actually. like I like you. I forgot how to say sp- idiot Spanish. Um, how do you say idiot in Spanish? How did I forget? <laughs> I almost. I almost said no, pendejo, but that is not idiot. That is a much stronger no, I insult. Think it's, is, it, is it stupid or do they do they make a difference between idiot and? I think it's stupid. Pretty cool. Okay, it's pretty close. And well, my mind went to like the harshest like swear that you could do in Spanish. <laughs> Are you gonna have to um, censor me? It's idiota. 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 That's pretty yeah. good. Yeah, it's not, it's not like I like you, idiota. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. It's stupido. <laughs> it's not like I like you. It's stupido. <laughs> These chiefs conferred apart in the rear chambers, after which Captain Whipple emerged from the great room and gave the gathered seamen their last oaths and instructions. Aliziar Smith was with the leaders as they sat in the rear apartment, awaiting the arrival of Ezra Reedon, whose duty was to keep track of Kerwin and report the departure of his coach for the farm. At about 10.30, a heavy rumble was heard on the Great Bridge, followed by the sound of a coach in the street outside. In that hour, there's no need of waiting for Whedon in order to know that the doomed man had set out for his last night of unhallowed wizardry. <clears throat> um, that I want to. What? What if he was doing hollowed wizardry? Would they be okay? <laughs> would that make us? Would that make like, a what, difference? Would like, that be like, okay? what if he was like a pelar or like witch doing like like low down magic that you know where people like kept him fed and everything? Yeah, in fifteen hundreds. <laughs> They're like, yo, I just had a vision. Thanks, Hild- Thanks Hildegard, of being in. <laughs> he doesn't work. Actually, you know like, what? <laughs> we can't stand for okay, this. Okay, you know that, like, that halfway forced uh, slang wizard as something's cool? <laughs> what if he was being too cool? And they're just like, we gotta take him out. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, fuck, this unhallowed wizardry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he does a kickflip over like an <laughs> entire car, and he set and he did it perfectly tied uh, with some fireworks to go off behind him. Like it's just like, oh no, he's too cool. Like 
We can't. Him and his red <laughs> skateboard. A moment later, as the receding coach clattered faintly over the muddy dock bridge, Whedon appeared, and the raiders fell silently into military order in the streets, shouldering the firelocks, fouling pieces, or wailing harpoons, which they had with him. Whedon and Smith were with the party. In of the deliberating citizens which were present for active service, Captain Whipple, the leader, Captain Essek Hopkins, John Carter, President Manning, Captain Matthewson, and Dr. Berwin, together with Moses Brown, who had come up on the 11th hour through absence from the preliminary session at the tavern. All of these freemen and their hundred soldiers began the long march without delay, grim and a trifle apprehensive as they left the money dock behind and mounted the gentle rise of Broad Street towards Paltusic Road. Just beyond Elder Snow's church, some of the men turned back and took a parting look at Providence, lying outspread under the early spring stars. Steeples and gables rose dark and shapely, and salt breezes swept up gently from the coves north of the bridge. Vega was climbing above the great hill across the water, whose crest of trees were broken by the roof-like line of the unfinished college edifice. At the foot of that hill, and along the narrow mounting lanes of its side, the old house dreams, old providence, for whose safety and sanity, so monstrous and colossal that blasphemy was about to be wiped out. An hour and a quarter later, the raiders arrived, as previously agreed, at the Finner farmhouse, where they heard a final report on their intended victim. He had reached his farm over half an hour, for, and the strange light had soon after were shot once into the sky but there were no lights in any visible windows. This was always the case of late. Even as this news was given, another glare rose towards the south, and the party realized that they had indeed come close to the scene of awesome and unnatural wonders. Captain Whipple now ordered his force into separate... Captain Whipple now ordered his force to separate in three separate divisions one of twenty men under Eliziar Smith, to strike across the shore and to guard the landing space against possible reinforcements. For Corwin, until summoned by a messenger for desperate service, a second of twenty under Essek Hopkins to steal down the river valley behind Kerwin's farm, demolish with axes or gunpowder the oaken door and the high steep bank, and the third to close in on the house and adjacent buildings themselves. Of this division, one-third was to be led by Captain Matthewson to the cryptical stone edifice with the high windows, another third to follow Captain Whipple himself to the main farmhouse, and the remaining third to reserve a circle around the whole group of buildings till summoned by a final emergency signal. Okay, I get being prepared. Do they think he has a navy? Yes, apparently. Does this does this man have a navy? <laughs> like <laughs> what? 
What do you think this man has got going like, on? Like, maybe make sure he can't, like, escape by boat. I understand that. I know that, like, did yeah. they say something about a door being on the shore or something like that? Um, I thought they did. In, like, one of the, in one of the outcroppings uh, that's hard to see. And in, in the high, s- steep bank into the third on the house and adjacent buildings. So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, because remember, he has, like, some... Um, tunnels leading to his Which, laboratory. Uh, that one got washed out, but I... Which I understand more. that to some extent. But, like... Yeah. Like, 30-something men? Like, how many men does it take? Yeah. Yeah. To fuck up one Like, nerd. I don't know. I mean, maybe he has a bunch of zombies. Apparently, I mean, that could like, be something, but I don't think they know that they have zombies. No, they don't. Like, maybe he doesn't have zombies. Like, as far as I know, it's just a nerd and two, like, native people. They go they go in and he's just doing a kickflip. They're like, he's so oh, fucking God. cool. Go, go get more men. He's learned how to ollie. <laughs> so, well, technically you have to learn how to ollie in order to do a kickflip, because you need to be able to get the board off the floor. Oh, sorry. What's um, uh, another cool um, trick? <laughs> I only know Ollie and Kickflip. I know things, but I can't remember them. Listen, I played Tony Hawk Pro Skater by mashing buttons and nothing else. The river party would break down the hillside door at the sound of a single whistle blast, then waiting and capturing anything that might issue from the regions within. At the sound of two whistle blasts, it would advance through the aperture to oppose the enemy or join the rest of the raiding contingent. The party at the stone building would accept these respective symbols in an analogous manner, forcing an entrance at first, and at the second descending whatever passage into the ground that might be discovered or joining the general or focal warfare expected to take place within the caverns. A third or emergency signal of three blasts would summon the immediate reserve from its general guard duty. The 20 men divided equally, entering the unknown depths through the farmhouse and stone building. Captain Whipple's belief in the existence of catacombs was absolute, and he took no alternative into consideration when making his plan. Is catacombs automatically going to be tunnels, or can it be something else? Can it just be one big room? Like they break in, they're all just staring at <laughs> They break at each in other. and then it's just a basketball court. <laughs> 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 Joseph Kerwin's there doing like slam dunks. He does like a, a he does like a three pointer. They're like, damn, <laughs> we didn't plan for this. <laughs> he's like Joseph Kerwin just looks at them. He's like, ball is life. <laughs> it turns out he got the <laughs> no. The forbidden knowledge! He got the shoes of Michael Jordan, now he's like Mike. (laughs) Oh my god! (laughs) This is just a very elaborate retelling of Like Mike, where things really go off the rails. Uh, I would like to have a, um... I mean, it wouldn't be hard to do, but just take, like, any of the, uh, like, public domain stories and just, like, enter in a elaborate plot 
of them being really good at basketball, but also the other stuff is happening. <laughs> it's a more elaborate version of just adding off a jerking off scene. Like, just in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have to like study basketball for the next three years well that would be great because it'd be like uh whatever they're doing like they're they're sit down and talk okay Wuthering Heights but Heathcliff Heath was a basketball star as well he's good at basketball uh, whenever he's uh doing his rants he's also just like shooting hoops he's like doing really complicated uh uh, dribbling uh, drills. <laughs> That's the whole reason why What's-Her-Face falls I, I will say him. it'd be much easier for us to just take a public domain story and just adding a jerking-off scene in it. Actually, Jade Eyre? Actually, no, wait. Most of Elizabeth Bronte's stories would probably be fixed if the protagonist just, like, rubbed one out. They'd be like, wait, I don't need this. <laughs> oh, wait. Uh, I could just... That's right, I could just masturbate. Oh. I don't no, 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 it's not even that. They just get close nut clarity. Oh, this is like, oh shit, why don't I just walk over to his house and say, hey, are we gonna, like, date or something? Yeah, are you gonna be a little bitch about this or not? Because most of what the heights would have been fixed if they just walked, if, if she just walked to his house, like, close to the beginning and said, hey, are we dating? Do we want to, like, get married or something? Do we like each other or not? Like, it's you know it's it's really messing me up. Is, <laughs> is ball truly life, or is there more? <laughs> oh no, I'm just now I'm just god damn it because <laughs> part of me because like I think Wuthering Heights is a fucking boring book because again yes. it would be fixed if someone just walked to the other person's fucking house and had one conversation. No, that's it's. That is the entirety of Withering Heights. Just communicate. That's all I'm asking. But, but but also the way that I was able to get through it, because I had to read it so many fucking times through a school, I would just imagine uh, Heathcliff as Heathcliff the cat. Um, <laughs> 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 and that's coming in because it's, I guess it's psychological, like, like a Pavlovian at this point. And when I was imagining Heathcliff, you know, supposed to be, like, tall, swarthy, you know, muscular and handsome. Yeah. Like, I was just like, no, this is just this dumb cat that tells esoteric good jokes. (laughs) He's wearing a meat helmet right now. I would pay an inordinate amount of money to see an adaptation of Withering Heights where Heathcliff is really just Heathcliff the cat. Dude, it could just be the Heathcliff, like, people. Like, all of them. And, like, the garbage shape could be... The garbage shape could be, like, I guess the ghost that kills her? Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) The meat helmet is what kills her. Yeah, he's just he he's so enigmatic and strange. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's just <clears throat> me. Yeah, like at least okay. So sorry, I'm I'm not done complaining about Wuthering Heights. Okay, because like first off, it could have been done in like ten pages. Like they just needed to talk and say, "Hey, fuck it, I don't care about my family. I yeah. want to marry you." Yeah, like that's all they could have done. Also, they could have just stole some money and moved a town over and would have been just fine. It's whatever, because people did that all the time uh, back then. 
Um, you were able to do it up until around the fifties. Oh of. yeah, no faking so. faking your disappearance was so easy. You could probably do it now, kind of if you're willing to be paid under the table. Yeah. Um, but you'd want to change significant things about your face. But that being said, um, like at least with like other stuff that I was forced to read as fucking classics and stuff. You know, you know how what the how they fixed the problem in Frankenstein. They couldn't. They couldn't fix it. Uh, actually, that would have been fixed if uh, Victor Frankenstein wasn't such a fucking moron. Uh, that would have been fixed. Be like, yo, I made this thing, and I realized it's a big muscle zombie. Uh, maybe I shouldn't be scared of it when it moves. Yeah, uh, you know, I yeah, maybe. I gave something <clears throat> sentience. Like maybe I should treat it like I would treat any other sentient creature. So when I was watching Penny Dreadful, uh-huh. they had Frankel Frankenstein in it. The first, the first um episode had Victor Frankenstein in it. I'm just like. Wow, he's being like real thoughtful, and he seems to really like this Frankenstein. I'm just like, wow, this Frankenstein monster. Like, what's going on? This isn't the freaking Victor Frankenstein I know. And then the first one comes up and fucking murders. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he makes him just like, oh, that's the one I know. Whoa. Oh, there he is. There he is. <laughs> Look at him. Go. He is a piece of shit. Oh, look at him. Yeah, so um, I'm glad that they did that. I know, me too. Because I'm just like, I, I won't accept this if Victor Frankenstein isn't a piece of shit. <laughs> and they did it. Did it. They um, did it. Okay. <clears throat> I need to watch that again. Penny Dreadful. So good. Yeah. Also, that was the, that was the, the uh, one of the only things that Eva Green has been in, that she wasn't naked immediately within the first 30, uh, 30 minutes at one point. So it's like that, and uh, what was the one Miss Peregrine's? Yeah, but that's also a children's <laughs> movie. So. Well, no, no, I mean, that's a, if you get the unrated one, you do get to see her tits. <laughs> she is just naked, <laughs> yeah, for one scene. No, but it does take a couple episodes before you see her naked, which is, it's I mean, true. remarkable. Remarkable. I mean, I'm just saying, like, before I knew who Eva Green was as a actor, act actor i knew what she looked like without her clothes oh same yeah so she also kind of feeds into my my very much love of like skinny pale witch looking bitches (laughs) like oh my god i love it i mean i don't mind like you know thick witches either but like (laughs) sorry Description really got me. <laughs> I, get I mean, it, tell though. me. I tell totally me. get it. Yeah, she's a witch. What do you know? She is. People, you can point her out and be like, like if she isn't in like real smoky like eyeliner, like what is she doing? Yeah, really. Yeah, she she has a face made for for emo fashion. She can speak so many different languages. She's got she's got to be witch. Exactly. He has a couple of Bruja friends. Oh, definitely. Okay. I will say that Captain Whiffle's belief could backfire. Yeah. Yeah. But but whatever. <laughs> 30 men huddle into the farmhouse and be like, oh, there's no room in here. <laughs> there's <laughs> There is zero room. It turns out he just has a normal size farmhouse. <laughs> and then a weird cast. <laughs> It turns out he's just fucking weird. <laughs> yeah, it turns out he's just, like, very strange. 
Nothing like else. Like how how does he live? And it turns out it turns out he's like that that one MLM that keeps on popping up. Well, not sorry, multiple MLMs, the Black Organics or whatever, which is just dirt. It's yeah. just bog dirt. Yeah. Yeah. Like it turns out he just eats bog dirt. That's why he's over six <laughs> years. Old. <laughs> he's, he's sitting in his lab just. <laughs> The reason he goes of dirt, just like I'm <laughs> 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 like, what are you doing? Some magic for like, no, I'm I'm eating my supplements. <laughs> like, just, yo, listen, he just he grabbed just like a handful of dirt. We had to kill him. He just put it in his mouth <laughs> and he ate it. Like when uh, uh, Tilling Gas, Eliza, was it Eliza Tilling Gas? Eliza Tilling Gas. Yeah, when Eliza Tilling Gas was just like, yeah, he didn't have to kill it. He was just a fucking weirdo. He was so weird. What you know you- why he went through so much livestock? He kept trying to set them free. Yeah, he just, he just, yeah, he doesn't even eat meat. He's just like, he just buys them and then lets them go. Uh, you know what? They just go to the farm next door. They have so many cows now. (laughs) (laughs) It turns out Finner, the the Finner family, was just doing uh, anti uh, anti Kerwin propaganda because they weren't getting any of the cows because they were uphill (laughs) instead of downhill. (laughs) (laughs) So funny. (laughs) Like, why does everybody else get cows? We don't. I don't get it. And the light that shoots up, it's just like, it just turns out that he just made electrical lights real quickly. <laughs> he has like, like a floodlight. He keeps f- accidentally turning it on. He can't remember which <laughs> switch is attached to it. <laughs> he turns uh, it on. He's just like, what? <laughs> oh my god, that hurts. Oh, Why Jesus. do I even have that light? <laughs> just, I just came out here to eat some dirt. <laughs> Why didn't I patent this already? Jesus ah. Christ! <laughs> Eliza, I can't see. She's like, again. God. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. I didn't like him because he was old and ate dirt. Why did you kill him? <laughs> He's just all ate dirt. Like, we, like nothing else oh. exciting was happening here. Oh, it turns out whenever he took over his, uh, whenever he took over, uh, Dexter Ward's, uh, body the reason why they thought he was insane because he kept on eating bog dirt <laughs> like please that's just peat moss he's like it's so good <laughs> nom 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 i'm gonna live forever <laughs> <laughs> like i think maybe something's wrong with dexter just like just uh, saying okay i think we made a much richer backstory for joseph Kerwin. <laughs> he does still like he still sold slaves unfortunately uh, yeah no he's still a piece of shit but also he's a he's just an old man who I eats just, dirt yeah, like the idea that like he's not doing any like strange experiments like all the books in his shelf that they're like ooh, there's books in other languages ah oh, things in arabic it's just like a recipe book yeah it's like how to make hummus and he has coffee, but it also has the, because they <laughs> did you know for like almost like forty goddamn bucks you can get a pound of black organic uh coffee roast, which has just it's it's coffee grounds with dirt mixed in. Oh hell yeah. Oh <laughs> you yeah. Really have a, you really have a cup of mud. <laughs> a literal cup of mud. 
He had with him a whistle of great power and swillness, and did not fear any upsetting or mistaking of signals. But the final reserve of the landing, of course, it was nearly out of Russell's range, hence would require a special messenger if needed for help. Moses Brown and John Carter went with uh, Captain Hopkins to the riverbank, while President Manning was detailed with Captain Matthewson to the stone building. Dr. Bowen with Ezra Whedon remained in Captain Whipple's party, which was to storm the farmhouse itself. The attack was to begin as soon as a messenger from Captain Hopkins had joined Captain Whipple to notify him of the river party's readiness. The leader would deliver the loud whistle, and the various advance parties would commence their simultaneous attack on three points. Shortly before 1 a.m., the three divisions left the Fenner farmhouse, one to guard the landing, another to seek River Valley and the hillside door, and the third to subdivide and attend to the actual buildings of the Kerwin farm. Okay, you know that one meme that's been going around um, recently? Uh, it's it's a screenshot from, like, the Lemmy show of the, of the guy with the light in his face and he clearly just woke up. Yeah! I think you're just Joseph Crabbe. Like, favorite one of those is the Jarl from White Run. I think it's like the Dragonborn just wakes up a villain. I've been like, yeah, <laughs> you should keep. Oh, God. It's so fucking funny. Oh, my God. God that's, my, that's now uh, whatatever a picture is. <laughs> just current. I'm gonna picture Libby. <laughs> Okay, wait. Has any okay? This is probably a poor taste, but I don't care. Has anyone done a version of that for Osama bin Laden? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Because <laughs> like at one a.m., like he's definitely sleeping, dude. Oh, he's definitely asleep. <laughs> like, like I'm, I'm barely awake. I'm at least, I'm probably at least laying down and reading a book most of the time at one p.m. <laughs> I just saw the screenshot. It's so funny. <laughs> He's also leaf shirtless. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. He's pointing at something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm just picturing Lumi as as Joseph Kerwin now. Alicia R. Smith, who accompanied the shore guarding party records in his diary an uneventful march and a long wait on the bluff by the bay, broken once by what seemed to be the distant sound of the whistle and again by a particular muffled blending of roaring and crying and a powdered blast which seemed to have come from the same direction. Later, on one man thought, he caught some distant gunshot and still later Smith himself felt the throb of the titanic and thunderous words 
resounding in upper wind. It was just before dawn. It was just before dawn that a single haggard messenger with wild eyes and hideous unknown odor about his clothes appeared and told the detachment to disperse quietly to their homes and never think or speak about the night's doing, or of him who had been Joseph Kerwin. Something about the bearing of the messenger carried a conviction which his mere words could never convey. For though he was a seaman, well known by many of them, there was something obscurely lost or gained in his soul, which set him evermore apart. It was the same later on when they met another odd companion who had gone into the zone of the horror. Most of them had lost or gained something imponderable and indescribable. They had seen or heard something which was not for human creatures and could not forget. From them, there were never gossip, for to even the commonest of mortal instincts were terrible boundaries. And from that single messenger, that party at the shore caught a nameless awe, which almost sealed their own lips. Very few are rumored which ever came from them. And Elazar Smith's diary is the only written record that survived from the whole expedition, who set forth from the sign of the golden lion under the stars. Okay, that's cool. Um, I was hoping for more information on that Lovecraft. Yeah. Uh, I understand you're supposed to be, like, mysterious and, like, you know, ooh, what happened? You know, maybe, you know, like a fragment of something. I know that there's, like, like 80 more pages to this, but... But, like, something. Come something, on. Something, anything, for the love like, of God. You just spent most of this part talking about it. I don't know. Maybe don't do an anticlimax on the action part of your story so far. Please? Yeah. You know, normally kind of follows through on the action if he says there's going to be action. Like, normally. Again, like, normal. Again, there's supposed to be, like, 80 more. Like, about 80 more. Oh, gosh. I know there's more, and, like, maybe you're saving it for later, but damn. Come on, dude. Oh. A fragment. A fragment or something? Like, maybe a paper? Of, like, one of the dudes who was on there being like, hey, I went back there and there was, like, this awful smell that made me see weird visions in, for the rest of my life or something, you know? Something weird. Oh, shit. Nightmares, maybe? <laughs> yeah, maybe? I don't know. You seem to like nightmares, uh, Lovecraft. It seems to be, like, a whole thing you, you talk about a lot. Yeah. You just wrote a... A uh, seventy to eighty page story about Dreamland. Like I feel like <sighs> something. Charles Ward, however, discovered another vague sidelight in some finnier correspondence, which he found in New London, where he knew another branch of the family had lived. It seemed that the Finners, from whose house of the doomed farm was distantly visible, had watched the departing columns of raiders and I'd heard very clearly the angry barking of the Kerwin dogs, followed by the first, the shrill blasts, which precipitated the attack. This blast had been followed by a repetition of great shafts of light from the stone building, and another moment, after a quick sounding of second signal, ordering a general invasion, there had come a sudden prattle of musketry, followed by a horrible warring cry which the correspondent Luke Finderer had represented in his epistle by the characters... <laughs> Sorry, I can't... 
I can't. I can't. I can't with this thing. Distant, a distant, a distant and quiet echoing across the valley. (laughs) 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 This cry, however, possessed the quality of which no mere writing could convey. And the correspondent mentions that his mother fainted completely at the sound. And it was later repeated less loudly but further and more muffled. Evidence of gunfire ensued. Together with a loud explosion of powder from directions of the river, about an hour afterwards, all the dogs began to bark frightfully, and there were vague ground rumblings, so marked that the candlesticks tottered on the mantelpiece. A later smell of sulfur was noted, and Luke Finnerer's father declared that he heard a third emergency whistle Though the others failed to detect it, muffled musketry sounded again, followed by a deep scream, less piercing, but even more horrible than those which had preceded it. A kind of throaty, nastily plastic cough or gurgle, whose quality as a scream must have come more from continuity and psychological import than from its actual acoustic value. One thing I want to point out. There's several things here. First off, uh, writing generally isn't a good conveyance of sound. Uh, you could put, it sounded like the cat said, M-O, M-O-O-U-R, or something. Or <laughs> like, it's different. Yeah. You could, you know, like, like maybe music. Music? Like sheet music? Yeah. That's a good conveyance of what the sound. But only if you know how to read it. So I don't know how you would get (laughs) 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 It's a me, Wario. (laughs) They're like, no. They're just playing Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, getting their shit rocked by Joseph Kerwin. Then somebody plays Kirby and it's it's all downhill from there. I do that thing wherever I uh whenever I turn into the uh the block with a smiley face on it, I pause and zoom in. <laughs> <laughs> it's very good. It's very good. It's just a happy little rock. That's all he is. It's a happy little rock. Then the flaming thing bursts in sight at the point where Kerwin's farm are to lie. And the human cries of desperate and frightened men were heard. Muskets flashed and cracked. And the flaming thing fell onto the ground. A second flaming thing appeared and a shriek of human origin was plainly distinguished. Finnerer wrote that he could gather a few words belched in frenzy. Almighty, protect thy lamb. Probably do this during. See, because I feel like if you're hearing um, a few words belched in theory... Wait, that's supposed to be, like, from... Wait, which? what is that supposed to be from? The words, Almighty, protect thy lamb. Uh, it's probably just like, dear God, please save us. Okay, never mind. I thought that was supposed to be exclaimed from the flaming people. No, no, that's okay. um the Fenner. 
Uh, the thinner, oh, okay, thinner. The thinner guy that's writing this down apparently was like, oh, fuck. But, but yeah, but it said he can gather a few words belched in a frenzy, but that doesn't mean it's from a human. Oh. Well, it says, sorry. Oh. Yeah, I'm distinguished just... Fenner wrote that he could even gather a few words belched in frenzy. So I think it's from Fenner. And then there are more shots, and a second flaming thing fell. And after that came silence for about three quarters of an hour. And at the end of which time, little author Fenner, Luke's brother, exclaimed that he saw a red fog going up to the stars from the accursed farm in the distance. No one but the child could testify to this. But Luke admits the significant coincidence implied by the panic of the almost convulsion fright at which the same moment arched the backs and stiffened the fur of three cats within the room. What if, what if, okay, mm-hmm. get this, what uh-huh. if yeah. the, um, the color out of space was possessing? Oh, fuck. Joseph the color Cohen. out of space is right after this story. Also, the way that ended was a bright light shooting into the stars. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Oh, you're so right. Oh, I don't know shit. if there was like a weird red fro- fog or anything. That, but there might not have been, but you know, could have happened. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, also, shit. Also, they had nothing to do with flaming things either. I like how this dude is just watching this farm burn down. He's like, honey. Oh, uh, the Kerwin farm's on fire. Five minutes later, a chill wind blew up, and the wind became suffused with such an intolerable stench that almost the that only the strongest freshness of the sea could have prevented it from being noticed by the shore party or any wakeful souls in Paltusket village. Stench was nothing which any of the Finnerers had ever encountered before and produced a kind of clutching amorphous fear beyond that of the tomb or the charnel house. Close upon it came the awful voice, which no hapless hearer could ever be able to forget. It thundered out of the sky like a doom, and the windows rattled as it echoed. It was deep and musical, powerful as a bass organ, but as evil as have been books of the Arabs. What it said no man could tell, for it spoke an unknown tongue. But this is the writing Luke Finnerer set down to portray the demonic intonations. Dees me, jeshet, bon desafe, duvema, enemos. Not until the year 1919 did any soul like this crude transcript with anything else immortal knowledge. But Charles Ward paled as he recognized what what Mirandola had denounced in shudders as ultimate horror among black magics incantations, as unmistakably human shout or deep chorus screams seemed to have answered this malignant wonder from the Curran farm, after which the unknown stench grew complex and added an odor equally intolerable. A wailing distantly different from the screams now burst out and was protracted ungenuinely in rising and falling paroxysms. At times it became almost articulate, though no auditor could trace any definite words. At one point it seemed to verge towards the confines of diabolical and hysterical laughter. Then a yell uttered, ultimate fright, and stark badness 
wrenched from scores of human throats. A yell that became strong and clear despite the depths from which it must have burst, and after which darkness and silence ruled all things. Spirals of acrid smoke ascended to blood out the stars, and no flames appeared. No buildings were observed to be gone, or injured on the following day. Towards dawn, two frightened messengers, with monstrous and implacable odors saturating their clothes, knocked at the Fenerer door and requested a keg of rum, which they paid for very well indeed. One of them told the family that the affair of Joseph Kerwin was over, and that the events of the night was not to be mentioned again. Arrogant at that order seemed. The aspect of him who gave it took away all resentment and lent it to a fearsome authority, so that only the fervent letter of Luke Federer, who urged his Connecticut relative to destroy, remained to tell what was seen and heard. The noncompliance of this relative, whereby the letter was saved after all, was alone kept the matter from fearful oblivion. Charles Ward had one detail to add as a result of a long canvas of Potuskit for ancestral traditions. Old Charles Slocum of the village said there was known to his grandfather a queer rumor concerning a charred, distorted body found in the fields a week after the death of Joseph Kerwin was announced. What kept the talk alive was the notion that this body, as far as it could be seen, in its burnt and twisted condition was neither human or wholly allied to any animal which Potusket folk have ever seen or read about. Spooky. Turns out the, the person you suspect of doing dark magic might have some spells up his sleeve. <laughs> Turns out he might be like a level five wizard and you're all like uh, level one soldiers. <laughs> now, what I like to think is that that one thing happened where he was woken up at one of the morning and be like, oh, <laughs> that picture happened. He'd be like, okay, shit, I have to prepare oh, my spells. Fuck. Oh, fuck. I haven't prepared anything. Good thing I have some scrolls. What do I have? Oh, shit, I only have apocalypse spells. Okay, whatever. <laughs> I have meteor storm. That's it. Okay, I have meteor storm. Uh, uh Summon fiend. Oh, wait, I have two of them. Okay, okay. Summon uh, greater fiend. Mm, oh, fuck. What else? What else do I have? Why do I have a level nine cloud kill spell? Oh, fuck. Okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> fuck it. Uh, and then I have Misty Step. <laughs> oh, also I have Polymorph. So I guess I'm going to Polymorph myself into something, get away, cast all of this, and then I'll be fine. Okay, cool. I think we'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just thinking of a level, a fucking level nine cast cla uh, Cloud Kill. Oh, fuck. Would be so much overkill. <laughs> <laughs> that is a war cry. That would just completely fuck you and a hundred other people up. Well, not if you have uh, the meta magic that allows you to selectively target people oh, within my. AOE spells. Careful spell, yep. Chapter 6. Not one man who participated in that terrible raid could ever be as induced to say a word concerning it. And every fragment of the vague data which survived comes from outside of the final fighting party. There is something frightful in the care which these actual raiders destroyed each scrap that bored the least allusion to the manor. 
Eight soldiers had been killed, but although their bodies were not produced to their families, were satisfied with the statement of the clash with custom officers had occurred. The same statement had also covered the numerous cases of all wounds, all of which were extensively bandaged and treated only by Dr. Jazbez Bowen, who had accompanied the party. Hardest to explain yet was a nameless odor clinging to all the raiders, a thing which was discussed for weeks. Of the citizen leaders, Captain Whipple and Moses Brown were the most severely hurt, and letters of their wives testified the bewilderment which their reticence and close guarding of their bandages produced. Psychologically, every participant was aged, sobered, and shaken. <laughs> That's that's how I like my drinks. <laughs> oh, this is my favorite. <laughs> sobered, shaken. Like you may ask, what is a sober a cocktail? <laughs> it's, like, there's no alcohol in it. So, like the alcohol sat so long that it has gone through fermentation and then it has defermented. <laughs> It turned, it it turned back into juice. <laughs> and then you shake it, and there's bubbles. It's great. Oh, delicious! <laughs> it is fortunate that they were all strong men of action and simple, orthodox religionists. For those with more subtle introspectiveness and mental complexity, they would have fared ill indeed. President Manning was the most disturbed, but even he outgrew the darkest shadow and smothered the memories in prayer. Every man of those leaders had a stirring part to play in later years, and it is perhaps fortunate that it is so. Little more than a twelve-month after Captain Whiffle led the mob who burnt the revenue ship Gaspy, and in this bold act we trace one and the blotting out of the unwholesome things. There was delivered to the widow of Joseph Kerwin a sealed leaden coffin of curious design, obviously found ready on the spot when needed, in which she was told her husband's bodies lay. He had, it explained, been killed in a customs battle which was not polite to give details. More than this, no tongue ever uttered of Joseph Kerwin's end, and Charles Ward only had a single hint, wherewith to construct a theory. This hint was the merest thread, a shaky underscoring of a passage in Jedediah Orne's confiscated letter to Kerwin. It was partially copied in Ezra Whedon's handwriting. The copy was found in the possession of Smith's descendants, and we were left to decide whether Whedon gave it to his companion after the end as a mute clue to the abnormality which had occurred, or whether is as more probable, Smith had it done before and added the underscoring himself, from which he managed to extract from his friend by shrewd guessing and adroit cross-questioning. The underlined passage is merely this. I say to you again, do not call up any that you cannot put down. By the which I mean any that can in turn call up somewhat against you whereby your powerfulest devices may not be of use. Ask of the lesser, lest the greater shall not wish to answer, and shall command more than you. Is this just not saying don't start shit you can't back up? <laughs> it's literally 
<laughs> talk shit, get hit. <laughs> Don't. Are you picking up what I'm putting yeah. down? <laughs> this is this is basically saying talk shit, talk get shit, hit, get right? Hit. In the light of this passage and reflecting on what last unmentionable allies a beaten man might try to summon his direst extremity, Dexter Ward may well had wondered whether any citizen of Providence killed Joseph Kerwin. The deliberate effacement of every memory of the dead man from Providence life and annals was vastly aided by the influence of the raiding leaders. They had not at first meant to be so thorough and had allowed the widow and her father and child to remain in ignorance of the true conditions. But Captain Tillingast was an astute man and soon uncovered enough rumors to wet his horror and caused him to demand that his daughter and granddaughter change their name and burn the library and all remaining papers and chiseled the inscription from which the slate's slab above Joseph Kerwin's grave. He knew Captain Whipple well and probably extracted more hints from the buff mariner than anyone else ever gained respecting the end of the accursed sorcerer. Yeah, no, he's a sorcerer, so he definitely had many out here. <laughs> he, he had sorcery points to spend. Plenty. Yeah, he used a couple of sorcery points to cast a careful spell on his level 9 uh, cloud kill <laughs> spell. Oh, I'm, I keep on forgetting that one. It's what is the what is the, it's something moon, but it's basically like an orbital like laser from the moon. Oh fuck! You yes. Know that spell? What is it called? It's moon Why something. I'm going on TNT pilot right now. It's supposed to do uh, supposed to sear magical flames into people's skin and does like a lot of damage. Is it moon pillar? I'm looking it up that? right no. now. Moon moonbeam. Oh, that's so simple. A silvery beam of pale light shines down in a five-foot radius, 40-foot-high cylinder centered on a point within range. So the spell ends. It does 2d10 radiant damage on a failed save. Constitution save. He also had, like, he also, like, was casting that uh, randomly. He just learned the spell and he just wanted to make sure he's, he's like, good uh, at it. So <laughs> apparently, lycanthropes take more damage from it. So <laughs> he's like, already, if you werewolves? <laughs> <laughs> from that time on, the obliteration of Kerwin's memory had become increasingly rigid, extending at last by common consent, even to the town records and files of the Gazette. It could be compared and spared only to the hush that lay on Oscar Wilde's name for a decade after his disgrace, and extending only to the fate of that sinful king of Runazar and Lord Dunsany's tale, where the gods decided must not only cease to be, but cease to ever have been. Oh! He, he's referencing uh, Oscar Wilde being like openly gay and people yeah, just being like, there was Fuck a you. trial where they're like, yo, you're gay. And he's like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wrote. I'll suck a cock. I don't They're like, you wrote this gay book. And he's like, I sure fucking did. And they're like, well, yeah, that's aren't you ashamed? And he's like, fuck no. I love dick. I love mans. I'll, I'll suck your dick right now. Huh? <laughs> I'll suck anybody's like, dick. It's not helping you. <laughs> I'll suck my own dick. <laughs> that's, that's not helping. 
I don't give a shit. <laughs> Even if you don't have a dick and you're a dude, I'm still gonna fuck you. <laughs> I don't care. I'm Oscar Wilde. I wrote Dwayne Gray. <laughs> Which is exceedingly yeah, gay. Yeah, it was used in uh, his trial to prove how gay he was. <laughs> Which, to be fair, good book to choose out of this book. <laughs> so so gay. gay. I just I mean- love... Yeah, I just... So whenever somebody's like trying to argue that Dorian Gray isn't gay, it's like it was literally used in a trial to prove that Oscar Wilde was gay. And it worked. They didn't even have good gay darth in it. They're just like, damn, this book is fucking gay as shit. <laughs> like, holy shit. This man explicitly fucks another man. I forgot how to do all math and how to drive after <laughs> reading this book. <laughs> My wife read this book, and she moved in with the first woman who said something nice about her. <laughs> she's drinking. She's drinking out of Nalgene bottles and uh, talking about how they're going to get married. But we're still technically married, so she just shotgunned a wine cooler. <laughs> what? Miss <the> <laughs> Tillingas, as a widow, became known after 1772. Sold the house in only court and resided with her father in Powers Lane until after her death in 1817. The farm at Paltusket, shunned by every living soul, remained to molder through the years and seemed to decay with an unaccountable rapidity. By 1780, only the stone and brickwork were standing, and by 1800, even these had fallen to shapeless heaps. None ventured to pierce the tangled shrubbery, on the river bank behind which the river door may have lain, nor had any tried to frame a definite image of those scenes amidst which Joseph Kerwin departed from horrors he had wrought. Only the robust old Captain Whipple has heard by alert listeners to mumble once in a while to himself, pox on that. He had no business to laugh while he screamed. Twas it though the damned had it something up his sleeve. For half a crown, I'd burn his house. Uh, yep, that's the end of part two. Um, well, he did have something up his sleeve. It was a bunch Whoa. of scrolls. It was uh, one of those never-ending handkerchiefs. <laughs> yeah, he could only he could actually only do up close magic. <laughs> he's like he's like Captain Whipple. Is this your card? And Captain Whipple's like, <laughs> okay, get this, a sorcerer. Who can only do touch spells. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Get this. Uh, mm, up close magic. Oh god. Target oh, self. Or get oh, it. Oh my gosh. Now I want to see if that's possible. It probably is. Oh my god. I could do okay. Um I've I've admitted this multiple times, but I need to get my shame out. I was the I think one of the first people I realized uh made me attracted to men. Was uh, Chris Angel? There's, there's no shame in that. There's worse people you could be attracted to. Mm, I don't know. He's pretty. He was pretty cringy. I watched the Mind Freak. <laughs> just be like, oh, is he as hot as I thought it was? No, he still kind of is. But it was real cringy. Just like a sorcerer based off of Chris Angel, and it could only do up close. <laughs> And he would have prestidigitation on where it'd be, where, like, whenever he does magic, it just automatically goes, my freak. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
um, <laughs> it's like that um that skit where it's the two guys they're like coming home and there's uh they're like I can't it's not Chris Angel, it's the other one. I can't remember what his name is. Um the one that does all the like like I'm gonna sit in an ice bath for twenty four hours. Oh, David That's Blaine. Him, David Blaine. They're like David Blaine, leave us alone. He does all Spanish tricks. They're like David Blaine, you're a demon. <laughs> you put his okay. soda in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but uh, but to get back to actually talking, um, I will say that this was a good part. It, it delivered on everything uh, that it promised. Um, I wish we got a little bit more up close stuff with the people actually in there. Yeah, but you know we'll probably find out because you know what? I don't think Joseph Kerwood's even dead. I think he's still alive. Probably. <laughs> Just saying. Maybe a. Yeah, but I think what I don't think there was a body in the coffin. First off, I don't think there was like not a single body in there, and. Also, some kids definitely went on that goddamn farm. Oh, definitely. And one of them probably went away with, like, like a scrap of the Necronomicon, and that was cursed. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> yeah. Turns out human flesh does burn, but not as well as paper. Yeah, yep. But, um, because, of course, he had he had the hardback <laughs> version, which was <laughs> all done on human vellum. Necronomicon. <laughs> Yeah, it was all on human Oh, yeah, back in that day, they, they made it quality. I, I, yeah. I wonder what happened to his mummies. They probably just burnt up. Oh, no, they burnt oh. up. Or or they were stolen and snorted because people were freaks. <laughs> yeah, just go to the farm, start snorting up the ashes. Oh, man, I'm going to snort up this. Also, I'm going to make a paint. Also, I'm going to make a, a paint with mummy dust in it. It's going to suck real bad. <laughs> oh, I wonder if any of that still exists. Do you think any of them, like, still have, like, like a powdered, like, paint with mummy dust in it? Um, I- Anywhere? I don't know. I know Van Gogh, like, buried his, because he felt so ashamed that, like, somebody else, like, a person had been taken advantage of in order for it to be made. Uh, and I think after that, it kind of fell out of style. Because it was just, like, a novelty. Well, you might be able- I'm sure there is, in somebody's attic somewhere in, like, France- there is a tube of uh, mummy brown paint. There has to be. Mummy brown. But, but whatever. But what do you think is going to happen? Because it looks like we're going to be going back to the present of yeah. this. I think they're going to... I think we're going to learn from here, because it seems to be following the flow. We're going to learn how all of this resulted in Charles... Dexter Ward's madness. Like he we know that he knows about this. We know that he read it. We know that he's pieced all of this together. Uh, but how does that lead into his madness? I think we're gonna probably dig a little bit deeper into what happened between him learning this and him going to the asylum. And because we have like 60, 70 pages oh God, so left. Much. I wanna say. So we have 70 pages left. Like, yeah, I'm wondering what I think what they're going to do is they're going to follow up on some of it. Because, like, I think what happened is Dexter Ward has a lot more research going into this. Yeah. Than you think. Oh, yeah. Well, he's. Well, then they think. Yeah. Like, he he has scoured people's diaries. He's dug up from 
distant relatives of these people like letters yeah so i'm 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 very much looking forward to the next part but also i'm gonna take a break we're gonna take a break after (laughs) this uh and i don't know we'll either watch a movie or we'll uh read some more lord dunsany we'll just We'll just read through some of his uh, short stories, I guess. Short story that was mentioned. Maybe I don't know. Uh, Well, that's that's it. Uh, You are the irreplaceable gash in the fabric of reality. Your keening static howl is like no other. And if it faded from the abyss, the void that would remain would be unfillable, and the mansion's silence would forever fill with our lament. Bye. Bye. Thank you.